Alright guys, today, episode 51, I'm with Mr. Uncle Lloyd Uwusu, my first footballer. Yes, yes. Well, I had Paul Lima on, but he's not a proper footballer. <laughs> he's not a proper footballer. I actually wrote down, yeah, the clubs that you played for. Okay. Slough Town, Brentford, Sheffield Wednesday, Lone at Reading, Reading, Brentford, Yeovil, Cheltenham, Brighton, Adelaide, Luton, Hayes, Slough, White City, and then you played in Australia. Yep. That's so a big list, man. That's a big list. It's almost like Michael Hector's loaning. <laughs> oh, bless. How you doing? All good. Good. Bravo, it's good to see you. Good to finally see you. You've been here for what? A couple of months and I'm not even seeing you yet, nephew. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't even say nothing. It has been a mad schedule, but um, I want to explain to everyone why you're called uncle because people are wondering, hold on a second. <laughs> he's Ghanaian. He's black. <laughs> why is Darren calling him uncle? <laughs> Do you want to, you tell him? No, you know what it is? Ever since my playing career and many guys I've come across in my career, they've always been obviously younger than me and they've always sort of had a, uh, what's the right word to use, a sort of uh, feeling that they can come and talk to me and communicate to me with, for advice and everything. I just feel like when they're my young'uns, they're like my nephews. Yeah. So everyone, I've got so many, everyone says, oh no, you've got so many nephews. I go, yeah, because these are guys who, who I respect, people who respect me as well and I just like to give back. So I guess all my youngsters out there, they're all my nephews. Well, yeah, and that's exactly why we call him uncle and, you actually did that for me when I played a little bit in Australia. Mm. It didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> I did you. I went from club to club. And it was so hard to find my feet here with trying to play football. And I couldn't tell if it was... And you were the only person I could actually talk to and you would actually understand where my head is at. Mm. Not only as like an athlete, but as someone that's coming from the UK and like the difficult difficulties that I had kind of sitting here mm. when you first came here you came straight to the a-league yeah right and how was the transition from going from uk to that we'll go back to uk football a bit but what was the transition like yeah it was big you know uh for me unfortunately i got struck down with swine flu and pneumonia what yeah when i first got here no way yeah yeah so uh, it was when the pandemic back in 2000 and yeah 2009 so, oh shit, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, not many people know. And you got hit hard? Hit hard. I was one of the first footballers to get hit by it. So uh, I, got, I think I contracted it on the aeroplane. I remember, to be fair, when I was on it, I remember a woman behind me, she was coughing up the place. And uh, when I came here, I was sort of on the back burner. So like, I got here looking forward to a, a great opportunity in Australia. Uh, and then all of a sudden I started feeling really sick. Okay. Just like feeling cold and sweaty. And I said to the club doctor, time I'm feeling really cold so he goes and it's just a cold but you know when you get a cold you sort of know a couple of days you're getting better and better yeah 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 of course. I just weren't getting better after okay. a week he's like I know are you training at this point I was I was training a bit but then I was just I just couldn't my breathing was horrible okay felt weak and I said to the doctor look I think I'm struggling so he goes no I don't I don't think you've got swine flu let's just t just uh, test your lungs for uh, some other stuff so he tested my lungs and I had pneumonia fuck but, so but then still, I'm still not getting better from a cold if you got a cold you like again you're probably getting better after three or four days yeah this is like two weeks now said, Doc, look, I'm not getting better. We need to see, do something about it. So he finally went for the swine flu test. Had this horrible thing up my nose. Oh, it was horrible. So done that, come back, swine flu. So uh, they Assuming, to, like, mm. you came here for the transfer, right? Mm. They took that long to do all those tests on you. Yeah. Sounds like a very different system to how footballers are looked at in the UK compared to here, right? Yeah, to be fair, I mean, look, I came, I came prior, though, uh, to that move. Okay. I did come prior to have a little look around and had a little train session with the boys, but obviously in transition from there, from the UK to uh, Australia, that's where, I, that's where I caught it. Yeah. But like I said, I was, <clears throat> I felt like I wasn't getting better, and I said to the doctor, "Look," and like he said, "Yeah, in the end, swine flu." 
So what happened in the end, I was in quarantine. Yeah, they put me in quarantine for about 10 days. Right, so you did it before it was cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you did it before exactly. it was cool, bro. So uh, I was in, a, I remember I had an apartment in Henley Beach. Yeah. They put me up on there and then like I said, the club used to like deliver my food outside my, my door and yeah, just it was horrible. So I was on my own for 10 days, just suffering, suffering. And obviously in the end, I got better. But from there, I was always on the back burner. So my sort of Australian transition football-wise didn't really pick up and... But luckily, look, I'm here now, so yeah. I'm here to tell the tale. Did um, if that happened in UK, I know what the UK banter is like. If you went into the changing room straight after that, you would have been getting banter left, right, centre. Was oh. it the same here? Not really. You know, I would have got like you said. If it was in the UK, the boys would have they would have killed me. But it it was uh, a bit different here. The sort of perspective of players in this country is a bit different compared to like like what happens in the UK. Yeah, uh, I guess the guys are a bit more reserved. Yeah, uh, a bit more relaxed, but um, yeah, but luckily I had a good bunch of boys, I had a good bunch of teammates when I was. That's good. That you day, made lifelong friends, or oh, without a doubt. Even after I left the club, I've left left the club in the country. Yeah, I uh, you know I came back and still there's people like Scott Jamison, Travis Dodd, who was my captain at the time, Robert Cornthwaite, who's working for Sky Sp- uh, Fox Sports and everything, and people like that. I still keep in contact to this day. So uh, yeah, it's great to have some great lifetime That's good. friends. That's sick. Was um okay. So going back to. Obviously, your accent, everyone's wondering he's living in Australia. He came from the UK. Where are you actually from? Originally from Slough. Okay. So I was born and bred in Slough. So it's okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought East London was bad. <laughs> but after James told me about Slough and, uh, is it Bracknell, Bracknell those areas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, nah, look, so Slough, obviously, it's just, uh, I mean, uh, southwest of London, uh, 20, 25 minutes from London. So, yeah, born and bred up there. Uh, played all my junior football uh, in Slough. Were you born in Ghana though? Or? No, I was born in UK. Okay. My mum and dad from Ghana uh, came in, they came in the early 70s and then I was born obviously 76 and then yeah, raised, raised there. And, 76? Yeah man. I'm How old, old does that make you? Oh, man, 44 now. Oh my God, bro. You look so good though. Thank you, thank you. You look so good, bro. Oh my days. Whatever you're using, what are you using? Mercy cream. <laughs> Mercy cream. Mercy. And Ghanaian genetics, bro. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. And so, you started football there and you started, you got, you went straight into academy or? No, I was just playing local football. Okay. Just junior football association for a team called Britwell Devils when I was like 10, 11. And then from there to a team called Crusaders. And then I didn't sort of get into the academy system until uh, 15. So I, I got one year at uh, School of Excellence at Crystal Palace okay. when I was 15. Uh, and then obviously that was to transition to hopefully to get the YT, YTS at the time, the youth training scheme. Uh, unluckily for myself, I wasn't good enough deemed it by the club from Crystal Palace. So they released me after a year. So I just went back into a, to the non-league circuit, went back to my local team, Slough Town. Just played for them as under-16s to under-18s. But within that time as well, I was on occasion playing for the reserves at Slough. And then luckily, I got the opportunity to play for the first team. Wicked. And is that where you signed first professional contract? No, so it was just a, obviously, semi-professional, semi-professional. Com- yeah, conference uh, at the time. Uh, I was 18, signed a two-year deal with Slough Town. And then uh, luckily, a couple of years later, then I signed my first professional contract. And at Reading? Brentford. At Brentford. Brentford. So were you the were you the big target man? Yeah, I was. to be fair, I wouldn't even say a big target man then. I was more of a speedster. Yeah, because okay. Of my, because of my athletics background, I was more of a getting behind. Uh, but I was quite, I was obviously big for my age. Uh, so you were doing athletics before football? Yeah, athletics before football. Is that why you put your kids into athletics now? Yeah, I think it's the best concept for kids just in general for all sports that they want to do. But uh, yeah, like, like for myself, I was doing a bit of athletics and went into football. And then, uh, yeah, I uh, played for Slough Town, got into the first team. And uh, luckily, two years later, Brentford signed me up. So how many goals that first season? First season was, uh, 
a nice little 25. Yeah? Yeah, in, in 56 appearances. That's sick. Yeah, so it, look, for me, coming from non-league to the professional environment, I wasn't expecting that at all. I was just expecting to sort of just be a bit part player. I ended up playing every single game that season and uh, ended up went, scoring the winning goal to win the championship as well. So, yeah. And I scored three hat-tricks as well. My so, hey, you said that with <laughs> chest. <laughs> you said that with chest. <laughs> so what I've realised is, and I wish I had this confidence while I was playing, right? With what I do now with all of this stuff, social media, all this events, all that stuff, I go in with the attitude of not caring much. Mm. I wish I did that with football. Mm. I care too much. Would you say the way you performed from those goals, say from that first season, was it you got the goals and it just gives you a whole different level of confidence that takes you on to the next game feeling like I'm definitely going to score another yeah. goal? Or yeah. was, is, it, is it the confidence thing? Because obviously you've got athletic ability, yep. but it's all in your head, right? Yeah, for sure. And do you feel like a lot of footballers suffer with that? Yeah, I, I was just, I, I was fearless uh, growing up. I just thought, you know what I mean? Because of, like you say, I, I had a bit of pace, had a bit of, bit of strength, but I just thought, you know what? No one can tell me nothing. I just want to be the best I can be. And uh, every time I went and stepped on that pitch, it was about scoring goals and being the best player. And luckily for myself, I believe that really happened. And that's why I ended up scoring 25 goals, leading goal scoring Division 3 at the time. So it was all good. What was it like signing that first contract? Oh, well, nearly, nearly didn't happen. Really? So I, oh, mate. So I had this agent, right? This agent called Lan Rioki. Oh, my days. <laughs> okay, I want to he, was a, he was an absolute... Oh, so he, he was a barrister. Okay. So my, my mentor, Danny Bailey. You yeah. probably even know Danny Bailey from... He's from East London way anyway. Danny, is he the Millwall guy? No, nah, he was the he's an ex-player. Danny Bailey, Trevor Bailey. He uh, he doesn't sell. Her, he sells Schmerble life, doesn't he? Is it? No, no, no. It's nah, not him. No, nah, no, nah, not that different oh, okay. guy. Different That's a different guy. guy. Yeah, you so, know who I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Danny was my mentor at Slough Town. Like he was a player, ex-pro. So yeah. uh, I used to look up to him, and he used to give me a lot of guidance. So he introduced me to this agent called Lanry. Yeah. So in luck, so I was doing really well at non-league. Yeah. And then a lot of clubs because when I made my debut for Slough Town. Go back again. I scored four goals, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah four goals in my debut in the conference. And uh, a lot of clubs are talking about, oh, this young boy, Lloyd, we used to scoring goals. So uh, the following season, I, <clears throat> I went on loan. So I went on trial to Walsall because Lowtown, uh, what happened was the chairman didn't believe that he was going to pay extra money to get the stadium up, up to date so we could uh, stay in the league. So we got demoted. But me being a player, thinking that's not fair for us youngsters who were there. So Brian McDermott, <clears throat> he sent me out on... Uh, on a four-week trial to uh, Walsall. Okay. And uh, two weeks into the trial, he's phoned me, he said, Lloyd, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm just on my way to training. He goes, I've sold you. I said, what do you mean you sold me? He goes, I've sold you to f for £25,000 to <laughs> Brentford. I went, yeah, whatever. He goes, no, serious, I have. He goes, listen, go into Ray Grade and say thank you for the opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So I went in to see Ray Grade and I said, thank you for the opportunity. And he said, look, Lloyd, fair play. We wanted to see you for another couple of weeks, but you've got an opportunity to become a professional, take it if I was you. So I said, thank you very much. So headed back down the M6. Met Brian at the airport. Uh, sorry, sorry, no, tell. I met him at my mum's house first. Then me and him drove to the airport because Brentford were flying out to La Manga for pre-season training. Okay. So while we were in transition, I phoned up the agent. I said, Lamb, you know, that I said, we've got to go to the airport. He goes, yeah, I've just heard that Brentford has signed you. Uh, let me, I'll meet you at the airport. We'll go and talk the contract. At the airport? At the airport. Before you go off to pre-season? Before, yeah, Brentford were oh, going off to pre-season. Okay. So I've got, uh, so I've met up, me and Brian got there and then uh, it was Ron Nodes, may he rest in peace and uh, Ray Lewington. Uh, the Crystal Palace assistant manager now ex-England assistant manager with Roy Hodgson Aye. so uh, Lammy's turned up he's come from Marlebone so uh, Ron knows goes look we, we're going to La Manga now here's, here's the pre-contract have a look at it see what you think so I'm thinking in my head buzzing man professional footballer man. Yeah. there was me like on 50 pound a week and then this contract comes up and I look at it I'm like wow 350 a week <laughs> thousand pound a goal I'm like thousand pound a goal yeah, yeah. yeah it was like 2,500 a year signing on for him like 
This is dreams are made of. So no, Landry takes a contract off me. He looks at him and says, no. I'm like, what do you mean no? And he goes, this offer is derisory. My client's not signing this. And one of those goes, well, well if you don't want to sign it, we're, we're going. I went, nah. I said, Landry, we need to sign this contract. He goes, no, we're not signing it. I said, no, nah, I need to find Danny Bailey. Okay. So I called up Danny. I said, Dan, listen, one knows he's offered me a contract here, three-year deal. Yeah. I don't care if it's fifty pound a week. I want to sign it. You better tell Lamy. Lamy saying he doesn't sign. It. It's not enough money. You're hungry. Hungry. I'm just going to yeah, yeah, play now. Yeah. So Danny speaks to Lamy, and Lamy in the end, Lamy agrees. Okay, if the player wants to sign, the player can sign. Anyway, I signed the contract in the end. I freaking got rid of him, so he was gone. So yeah, and then obviously one knows and the players went off. And then in the following few days, I, I met with the club officials just to sign the the, the, the main yeah. the, pro, the, the main contract, and then have a medical. And uh, just started doing a bit of training with the boys who were left behind. And then, as they say, the rest was history. Sick. And how many goals did you score there? Uh, so, like I said, that first season was 25. It was 25. 25, that first season, 56. I played every game in the end. Uh, 56 games, 25 goals, three hat-tricks, winning goal to win a championship. Jeez. It was just word of over stuff. Did you? Um, did they renew a contract after? Yeah, so I signed, because uh, obviously signed a three-year originally, and then I think into my second year, I think into my second year, signed another two years. Cause like, yeah, I signed another two years because I ended up being at Brentford for four years, my first spell there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then went up to the next division up, which we did We did okay for a team who who was just come up. We did okay the second season. And then the third season, we stayed up as well again. And then the fourth season when I was there, my last season <clears throat> in my first spell, uh, uh, Steve Koppel came in. We had a very good team, very exceptional team. And we were obviously going for a promotion. Unfortunately, last game of the season, we drew with Reading. Uh, they needed a draw we needed a win to go automatic and then we ended up going through the playoffs and then we <coughs> lost the playoffs uh, I think it was 2-0 to Stoke in the end which was unfortunate and then from there the team really got dismantled because obviously we were all up out of contract and obviously players wanted to sort of progress yeah. to the next level to the league uh, to the championship or premiership and yeah like I said the team got dismantled and uh, Did a lot of these conversations happen between you guys that as footballers like Lloyd, how much you want? Oi, how much you want? What's going on here? What are you going to do? Are you going to come back next mm. year? Like, does that happen a lot? Yeah, it does. Look, especially my my era. Freaking, we're talking 20 years ago, aren't we? Yeah. So, like, yeah, a lot of that does. Because at the minute, there's so much more money, right? <sighs> Ridiculous money. Ridiculous. Like, if you were playing at this time, you probably wouldn't be working right now. Oh, no, man. If I, I, mean, if I, was, in today's, if I was in today's era... Because I've heard some of the contracts at Reading, oh, football, and I'm like, Phew. yeah. I mean, if I was... if, if Honestly, I'd, be, I'd say if I was in today's era as a centre forward in a championship, even League One... Uh, I'd say I'll be earning at least 20, 20 grand a week. That's mad, isn't it? It's crazy. That's but mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mad, mad, mad. Do you do you um do you understand why kids can go off the rail? When I mean kids, they're eighteen. They're not technically kids, but mm. I've I've spoken to a lot of like pro footballers and some eighteen, nineteen year olds. You talk to them, and it's like they haven't had any reality in a sense. As maybe in your time, I know you played football because you loved it, right? Mm. It wasn't for Instagram. No, no. It wasn't to do this, to no. do that. It wasn't to go Ocean Beach no. Club and do this, right? Mm. It was because you loved the game. And yeah. I think I remember there was, a, there was an interview where Seedorf was talking about this. And it was like, they used to go play out in the streets for fun because they loved it. Exactly. Not because of the money, not mm. because of this. Do you feel like it's completely changed where now the motive is just cash and just that? It's just cash and, fa and fame. And for me, especially these youngsters, there's a massive, a massive message I want to say to these youngsters out there, especially like, they all say they play for these teams, Man United, the Man City's, Liverpool's, 89, they're on getting their 10 grand a week, driving around in their Bentleys, whatever. And I, I, I sort of, first of all, I, think I disagree with that, that shouldn't be happening, that kind of money be, being given out to youngsters. And secondly, they, I don't even classify them as playing for the team. Uh, there's a great saying by one coach, he said, I think it was, uh, I think it was Pep Guardiola. He said, uh, 
these players don't play for Man United and Liverpool's. They train with them. Until they play a first-team game, that's when you play for the team. That's when you play for the team, yeah. So all these youngsters you see on Instagram, they're not even, they've not even made a first-team appearance yeah. and they're trying to floss around in their Louis Vuitton wash bags. Because the first-team result dictates how well the club does, right? Exactly. Not, not, not that you're scoring goals in the under-18s. Yeah. You train at the moment. You train with Man City's or whoever until you get into that team regularly. That's when you're a first team player. Yeah, because you see a lot of them drop off, right? Like they sign their first contracts, they think yes, ten, fifteen bags a week, whatever. Because I've heard some of the contracts in Chelsea, eighteen. That first contracts, I'm thinking, what? Massive money. This is crazy. Mm. Well, that's mental. And you can see why you wouldn't be as hungry. You mm. you kind of already made it. Like exactly. If I'm if I'm generating twenty thousand pounds a week, I'm thinking raw, I'm good. Yeah, that's what a lot of them do. And bless them, I tell you, someone two two players who I admire so much for many many years. Where a lot of people know these guys, Kieran Dyer and Titus Bramble. When they came from Ipswich to uh, Newcastle, Sir Bobby Robson, may you rest in peace. He was very articulate and clever with these two boys. Obviously, they were on good money. Yeah, like 80, 90 years old. They were like forty thousand a week. But Titus told me that Bobby used to take their money, a lot of their money and put it aside for them. So smart. So smart. So smart. So smart. Put it aside for them, put it in a trust or wherever it was, and they lived on whatever they had, their X amount of money left, and the rest of it was in the trust. And obviously by the time they get to retirement, they were okay. Sorted. They were okay. And them two are doing really well for themselves. I think that's why it's so important to have like good parents when um, someone is starting to make good cash. And I've seen a prime example of that with Michael Hector. Mm. He's, such a fa- he's, he's such a family person. I think that's why we get along so mm. well. And his mum, his dad, and I've known him since I was like six years old. Mm. And everything that he does, it goes, he does it with his family. Yeah. And you can see it doesn't go to stupid things. Whereas maybe if his mum and dad wasn't on his case initially, he's not doing it in a forceful way now, obviously. But if those um, fundamentals weren't there, those ethics weren't there, then it could easily just end yep. very quickly. Mm. And I know a lot of parents like, listen to this. And what would you say to them? Yeah, for me, it's a matter of just you got to be real, you got to be realistic, you know. Uh, don't be believing all the hype and and fame. Just let your your son or even daughters as well in in the game because the women's the women's game getting big as well, you know, and they get a lot of money. It's just about making sure that they can uh, have that sense of reality in regards of obviously yes, you're getting the money, but be wise of it. Maybe yeah. the parents, like you say, take their money aside, put it in a trust for them in the savings, buy some properties, look into investments. And then at the end of the day, if you keep working your hardest, your hardest, then everything else will, will come second. What was it like starting at Ghana, playing for Ghana? Oh. I know you did that. Four games? Four three games? games? Four games for Ghana. That was... Uh, that was another, I mean, I was Mom at, and dad was proud, didn't it? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> they were, they were. <laughs> were not it? So uh, I was playing for Reading. I get a phone, I get a message. I was at the training ground. I get a message from Sue, who was a club secretary. She goes, oh, Lloyd. Ghana FA have just called us. They want you to come and play your game. I'm like, yeah. She goes, that's unreal. Yeah, and I was like, oh wow. She goes, oh yeah, they're playing the game in uh, France. So against against a club team, FC Nantes. So I was like, oh wow. She goes, okay. She goes, look, getting all the details for you. Blah blah blah. So like, as you can imagine, England to France, it's not a long way, is it? It's not. No, mate. It took me three days to get there. What? <laughs> it took me three days to get there. They put you on a cheap flight. Oh man. So, yeah, so me, me, me and Patrick Adjiman, me and Patrick Adjiman got called up. He was at. AFC, he was at Wimbledon at the time, I think it was. So we get called up. So because it was cheaper to fly direct from Heathrow to France, yeah, they sent us. We went to, uh, we went from, no, I went from yeah to Stansted, yeah, Stansted to Belgium. Oh my days! Belgium to 
Belgium to France, somewhere in France, wasn't even nowhere near where we were playing. And then we had to get some bus or something. I can remember, some, I think a bus or something picked us up and we had a two or three hour journey up there. It was unbelievable. Oh it was crazy. God. So, uh, But look, it was brilliant. And that was an era of when uh, a lot of the youngsters, because no, this was about, I didn't really sort of follow my, my motherland at the time, you know, and yeah. obviously you had these youngsters coming through like the Essians, Asamoah Jans, yeah. Matai. But I must admit, mate, man, when I made my first training session, no word of a lie, we'd done this keep ball session. Yeah. And uh, I just had to stop and applaud. I just had to stop and just applaud because Essian, Sulimantari. Oh, you were uh, playing, you, they were all there? Yeah, with them, these, yeah, these Essian, all them, yeah, they, they were, were all youngsters. there. They were youngsters. Yeah, they were all this Stephen Apia, Asamoah Jan, uh, John Mensa. The list was endless and I was just like, I just stood there just like this, applauding because you could not get the ball with these guys. They were so technically gifted. It was unbelievable and then obviously that's the era, that's when... Fuff, you got crazy history. Oh man, mad, mad. More people should know about, I feel like not enough people know about this. <laughs> mm. That's mad, bruv. You're yeah. talking about some of the greatest oh. like midfielders. Oh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Top, top, top players. What were their ethics like compared to the boys from the UK in when it comes to... The money, family, was it more disciplined? Humble. Humbled. Yeah. These, because they've come from nothing on the yeah. streets of Africa, Accra, Kamasi, these boys have got an opportunity to obviously better themselves and obviously look after their families. Yeah. And uh, I look at, like I said, Essien, and I remember, I mean, he was playing Leon at the time, and Stephen Peel, I think he was at, I think he was at Juventus or at the oh time. Oh my yeah, days, yeah. that's mad. It's, like, it's how big these guys were playing, and then, like I say, look, they were earning obviously good money then, but they were so humble guys. They were just, just down to earth, very, very cultural, very, very spiritual, and just very relaxed guys. And I, and I loved, and I took a lot of from them. Even and they were younger. These guys yeah. were younger than me as well. So I took a lot from them, and uh, I've got a lot of respect for them. Like even to this day, I still speak to a lot. Do you of speak them. to him? Yeah, I spoke to Essien last week. Oh, yeah. sick! He done, yeah, he actually done a, a friend of mine, Steve Cabber, reached out to me to uh, get a message for one young boy who's, who's got a disease and. He's a massive Chelsea fan, so I reached out to Michael and uh, Michael sent a lovely face face message to the wow. boy. So it was, yeah, it was nice. You know what? It's um, you know, like on Instagram and stuff, you see those feeds where like footballers, I don't know, they give their shirt to kids or mm. whatever, or they or you see the kid walking down um, before coming out into the pitch and they see a player, they're like, oh my god, this is mm. amazing. It's crazy how much power a footballer has and how happy they can make a child. Because when I was a kid. That's all I wanted to mm. do. That's all I wanted to see, like meet a footballer. Like I remember like meeting someone for the first time, my hands were shaking. I was like, my lip, you know that bottom lip? <laughs> <laughs> you know that bottom lip? Just and just them, just like rubbing your head, you're like, oh my mm. God, I'm so, I feel amazing. I'm, I'm so inspired. You have that fanatic sort of an inspiring community in the UK and Europe, obviously. Mm. But in Australia, it's a little bit different, isn't mm. it? Like it's not as, and I've kind of noticed, it's, it's, a, it's like that with a lot of sports. So like the top rugby league player could be walking down Bondi. No. I I don't think no one would go up to him. No. Nah. You can get, well, may, obviously, probably if they saw David Beckham, they'll go up to him. But I don't even think they would expect to see him mm. somewhere like this. Because there is that, which is great. They leave people to their private lives here, yeah. which is great. But that fanatic competitiveness isn't really here, is it? No, it's not here at all. Uh, to be fair, like you say, I guess because UK is the home of football and people just love it and it's, that's their passion, desire, we're here. There's so many diverse sports as well. Mm. So because it's so across the board, you've got the AFL, the cricket, the rugby yep. league, the football, you know. So like you say, when you see someone walking down the street, people even, even if they, like you say, people wouldn't even, wouldn't even sometimes even recognise who they were. Yeah. And if they do recognise them, they just let them go on their way. And if, if, if anything, it's just a little 
oh, just hi, that's it. It's, you know what I mean? Where in England, it's like, oh, can I have a picture? Can yeah. I have an autograph? Like, you know what I mean? Did you did you miss that going from, because any club you went to, and every time you go back to the UK, you get called up to the club, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You became a legend at each club because of your personality, mm. you know? And did you miss that when you came here and there wasn't as much of that here? It's, you probably have it now because you've, you've been here a lot longer, mm. but did you miss that going from the... Uncle, can I please take a photo? Or to come in here and someone's maybe waving at you. Did you miss that? Yeah, I did. But in a way, for me, it sounds strange, but it was probably a bit different when I came here. And again, obviously being black as well. Okay, yeah. Especially when I was in Adelaide. Actually, when I did get to Adelaide, obviously I was like the so-called marquee player. Yeah. I sort of, every time when I was out in the streets or in the, in the shopping mall or go out in the evenings, people would always want to come up and yeah. like talk. They're like, talk. oh, it's a black guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other black guy. It must be lying. That's how it was though. That's the thing. This because, was, Because it, I was yeah. in like, very rare any black guys in the area. So people would see me and I'd say, oh, hi, Lloyd, can I take a picture autograph? So, but I understand where you're coming from here. It's not as much where it is in the UK and Europe. Yeah, yeah. Because even like, it's mad because when I see someone here and I'm like, if, if it's someone that, is like big time. I'll go up to him and be like, "Oh, I love what you do, man." Mm, I'll mm. be, I'll be real with it. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. even hold it in, you know. And um, sometimes they get shocked here mm. compared to say um, uh, the UK. They kind of expect it. They're like, yeah. "Come on, let's have a photo." Mm. And it's weird because the last couple of times I've come here, I've had people come and taking pictures with me, and I'm yeah. like, "This is fucking crazy." Mm. I'm it's like, "Fair play to you." I'm like, like I said, I see a lot of your Instagram. People are following you well now, and that you've done well for yourself, and it's, it's a nice feeling, you know. People respect it, and you see people walking down the street, and I say, "Oh, that's the Darren." You know what's mad though? I always wanted your job, bruv. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But what was I like? You saw, you didn't really see me play, did I you? I saw you a bit. No, I mean centre half. You know what I mean nice left foot though. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, you got the left foot though. I must have got that a left bit, foot. Left. A bit, a bit stiff. A bit yeah, stiff. You don't get many left sided centre halves. So uh, you you enjoyed. You came and had a bit of an experience in the, in the NPL world. So uh, yeah, at least it was hard though. I can imagine it's different culture, different country. You know what I mean different types of different style of football where you in England would be used to that real rough and tough yeah. and everywhere here's a lot of pass pass slowly yeah. slow slow where a defender's not used to that where they are in England when they're always up, up against a striker yeah. up hard yeah. you can't say nothing to the referees here can't talk to them it's can't mad it's crazy man you can't say anything ref what are you talking about yellow bang <laughs> what <laughs> I'm like what yeah. you can't say nothing yeah. and um, so being here initially coming here for football mm. you end up having kids here yeah, well, got, I, I, my, my daughter was born in UK, but my son was born here. Yeah. Oh, was your daughter born in UK? Yeah, AJ was born in UK. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. And then your son here. Yeah. So now they've got Aussie passport, British. You're going to get the Ghanaian as well. Could as well, and they can get Dutch as well. Oh, have, swear. Their, their, mum's, their mum's Dutch, so they can have the Dutch oh, as well. Get all of that. I know. You need to, that would be sick. Because, wait, I've got English and Turkish. I wasn't good enough to play for any of those countries. <laughs> Maybe find a few more options. <laughs> Might have got a chance. <laughs> maybe maybe find a few more options. And what is it like um, having kids in Australia? Because obviously you've experienced that mm. in the UK, uh, and I have this conversation a lot with my friends, and they're always like, "No, I'd love to bring up kids yeah. in Australia." I'm personally, I mean, I'm not too sure. Oh, okay. I'm not too sure. Although I love the life here. Mm. I think some of the stuff that I went through in East London and some of the stuff you would have gone through is, mm. is made you a stronger character. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? For me, I mean, I was living in, just before I left there, I was living in South East. I was in uh, Rotherhive and uh, that's what made my decision to move here, to be fair. I was in the back, I was in the kitchen and I looked out the window and I saw these young ghetto boys in the, in the park smoking weed, like 13, 14 year old boys. And I yeah. thought to myself, 
I can't have, I can't let my daughter live up like this. Yeah. And to be fair, that made my decision easy. And that's when I decided to up ship and and pack our bags and and come to Australia because I knew the lifestyle here was was very good. Yeah. Fresh, safer, uh, and just 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 I just felt like it was better. So made made the move to come, and I've not looked back. I mean, I emigrated 2000 2012. Yeah. Uh, March 2012 and oh, yeah in a long time now so I've not looked back and then my son was born here and uh, uh, for me personally it's, it's it's probably the best move I've done it's not about me it's for the next generation it's for them so have the opportunities in the world of sport education everything and yeah I was going to say so with that happening as soon as you had your first born was it like it's not about me anymore mm. straight away was it like that yeah yeah instantly yeah. As it's like is it there's no doubt because obviously you do get parents that just walk away or whatever, but is it that that response straight away? You're like, it's not about me. That's it. Yeah, that's how I felt. It's just about my kids. Let them get the best opportunity that they can in life now. And as much as I miss my home comforts, don't get me wrong, and obviously our immediate family is all back home. They've all, every single one of their cousins is, is back in the UK. And how uh, often do you get to... Oh, I mean, I've, they've, only, they've only been back once okay. uh, since they've got old. I mean, they went when they were younger once before that was like six seven years ago and then we went two years ago so uh we try obviously with all this pandemic now hopefully in the years to come we can try and go i'd love to try and aim to go like maybe once every couple of years ideally yeah but uh again it's all about what's what was what's going to be better for them in the long run enough and i just feel like here in sydney australia it's the best place for them yeah and they've got um they play a lot of sports right now yep yep they play a lot of sports and then would you love your son to be a baller oh, or your daughter? I'm, yeah, I mean, look, I must look. Every, I guess, every dad who's who's, a, who's a, been a professional footballer would love their sons to emulate them. And but like I said, with me, I don't, I don't push him. Uh, I just let him be. Just subtle pushes. Yeah, small, I'll, small. I'll do, I'll do that. Man. I'll play mind games. I'll be like, no, no, don't play football. Don't play football. Don't play football. And then be like, no, I want to play football. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. Mm. <laughs> so, Fair play to me, he does it everything on his own back, to be fair. He, he loves his football, loves his athletics. He's even done a bit of cricket at school as well. Uh, but I, look, if, if he if he ends up being a professional footballer, it'd be a, it'd be a beautiful thing. But at the end of the day, I just let him do whatever he wants to do as long as he's happy. The mad thing is, that's great. The mad thing is, if he wants to be a baller, you've got all the connects. True. Isn't yeah, it? Which is, look, I've got, I which, guess. Which makes a big difference, it right? It does, it does. You know what I mean? People say it's a bit of it's a bit of luck and who you know. It, sometimes in football it is. So, I mean, if I can give him, if I can open a couple of doors for him just to get, when he's a bit older, to maybe get opportunities for tra- training or trials, then yeah. happy days, why why wouldn't I use them connections? You know? Of course, yeah. I mean, you worked hard for them. Exactly. You did a lot to get to that position. Mm. And maybe your son or your daughter can take maybe what you wanted, maybe a bigger career or whatever it is, to a whole different level and who better to guide you than your dad that has experienced exactly. all of that you know exactly. because I feel even like I'm excited to breed bruv mm. I'm ex- just for that just like as an experiment mm. not to like because I think it would be pretty cool having like having a a mini you mm. I guess it's true when I see my little boy sometimes I mean he does I mean the stuff he does now I, I can even do it at that age at 8 years of age yeah. some of the stuff he does I can even I've seen him he's an athlete uh, yeah, I can even do nothing stuff. so when I just see him now I do have that little pride in my chest and it's like yeah it's yeah. my boy and has there ever been a moment because you do get I, get I hear some parents go don't have kids mm. and then but they say that but then I see him with their kids and they're like they're having such a good time I'm like why do they say this have you ever had that thought in your head nah I've always like said, I mean, for me, as soon as I've had my kids, I'll never feel like, oh, I wish I never had kids, you know, but they just bring a breath of joy to you, you know, just yeah. every day you see them smile and breathe and 
out and about. It's just, it's just, it's priceless. It's the best feeling in the world. It's the best okay. feeling in the world. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And now you work in a school, yeah. and I think that's definitely due to your personality and why we call you uncle. And now you're helping out other kids, not only in sport but in school in general. Yeah. Do you want to tell us what you do now? Yeah. So now I work at a school called Cranbrook, which is one of the most exclusive schools in Australia. Okay. Uh, is it like a private school? Private school okay. boy. Yeah. School. Uh, a boys' school uh, in the eastern suburbs. Uh, so I've got a couple of roles there now. Uh, I'm the general duties master, GDM, and uh, first 11 head coach. So I work alongside the house masters and uh, director of students with all discipline matters, uh, detentions, investigations. Uh, so it's a real, it's a great, my role, because I'm not a teacher uh, as as per se, but I'm sort of that big brother, uncle to the boys. So it's just, it, it just works beautiful for the school. When they saw me, just when I was just there as a casual coach, the head of the senior school, he just saw me how the boys reacted towards me when I was around the place and he just thought this is a, if we can have this guy in our school who can bring that sense of togetherness with the parents or with, or with the boys to the teachers and have that synergy together, have that middle man who can direct and talk back and forth to me. Because the kids like, because I'm not, because I'm not a teacher, I'm more, because I'm like from Mate, London. You're cool. Exactly. You're cool. And that's what and kids, yeah. I want to respect you. Mm. I wouldn't ever disrespect you because I've got so much respect for you for many reasons because mm. you give me time. You mm. message, you do this. Your mm. uncle, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and I think that's so important. And mm. I had that in my school with, uh, in essence, you're like a Champions League mentor, mm. right? Yeah. You're a mentor, yeah. right? And I had that. And every time I got into trouble, my mentor Alex used mm. to come see me. Used to be like, "What's going on?" I used to be like, "All right, cool. You know what? Okay, I apologize." He was like, "Do you need to do that?" Mm. No, I don't. Just I get you. And whatever he said, I respected. Sometimes I feel like in school teachers. I wouldn't say a chip on their shoulder, but there's that element of power mm. that when they mm. take the piss with some kids, yep. you know, and I've seen it, I've experienced it. There needs to be more people like you to have that grounded level of coolness, relatability, yep. as well as like inspire them. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh yeah, one of my mentors is a footballer. Mm. Who is it? Like, you Google them. They're like, oh my God, yeah. this is so cool. And like, they want to be exactly uh, guided by, you know, and where do you see that going? Oh, look, for me, again, I think long-term, obviously, ideally be at the school for long-term because it's such a great school anyway. It's it's, it's a top school. Uh, and I just want to be like, like you say, be that, that guy for the boys who they can relate to, who they can talk to with issues or problems. And obviously then on my side, I want to maybe add some extra strings to my bow. You know, I want to maybe go and do some courses in regards to PR, uh, pastoral care side and, and maybe maybe psychology side to, to, to a certain extent. But... Just want to get into. I think that. you already have that, bro. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's life skills, you know. I that's guess straight from that. yeah, straight from street. So I think sometimes that already, I think that that kids more appreciate that more than going to go and get all these papers signed off. I think because because I've had it from the street, kids can relate to me and they can talk to me about anything they want. And I think that's I think that's my long term goal, really. Hundred percent. And I think it's mad to think because I know, and I embrace them now more than ever after so many people tell me I've got the similar sort of like mindset where I'm from and like kind of knowing how to talk to people. Mm. And it's mad to think that a lot of people, they do degrees in this, right? Yeah. But we would have learned it in a more natural way by mm. taking action. And it's like learning on the job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's hard because sometimes I talk to people ones with degrees about these topics and they'll use this big word I can't even fucking say <laughs> and like this is this is this but they're like you're you're already you're actually doing that doing now and I'm like mm. oh cool I just mm. need to I guess we need to make it sound cooler bruv exactly you know what I mean exactly what you got a masters in 
Life experience. <laughs> Life, and I think, I, think that's, I think that's the most powerful thing, you know, to be fair. So I call it, I call, even when I'm on the football pitch, I call it street smarts. Yeah, street like, smarts. Street yeah. smarts. Just uh, you know, so if you've got street smarts, you, you're halfway there. Really. You're halfway there. Would, um, would you go into coaching here? Yeah. Like, as in, are you, what are you qualified with coaching? Yes, yeah, so I qualify. I'm, I can coach in, in, in uh, A leagues if I wanted to and everything. And First so, team A league? You yeah, yeah. What have you got? Uh, UEFA? I've got uh, AFCA license. Okay. Uh, but for me, look, it, it's a matter of uh, stability, really. In the professional environment, I've had, a, I've had a few opportunities to go and, and help out with coaching, assistant coaching here and there. But I'm thinking to myself, really, you look at any, you could, any or especially the football side, it's about results at the end of the day, yeah. So if you're in a professional environment, and you go as an assistant or whatever, and then the club's struggling, you look at, you're, you're getting sacked. And then you're looking out for your next paycheck. Yeah. Well, I don't want to put myself in that. I'm 44 now. I've got a family. I want the stability. So yeah. me, I'm, I'm in a good job. I know what I'm doing. I'm still involved in football though, which is yeah. good. So I'm, I'm doing the first level at school and I'm still, even in the NPR world, I still help out and, and mentor and guide some 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 clubs. The club I'm with Ride on me. I do the striking training. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still involved. So I'm happy. You know, I'm blessed. I don't need to be in that professional environment. I hear you. If, okay, Manchester United called you tomorrow, right? They called you tomorrow. Said, Lloyd, I've been seeing all the good work you've been doing with the kids at school. Mm. We need someone like you around. There's no weather, but you're at Manchester United. Going to put your kids into school. We're going to give you a nice house. But you get to do what you do now, which you love. Uh, what I would say is a higher level. Mm. Would you do it? I think you know what I think that's a perfect job for you. You know, I mean that would I mean I would probably have to say I probably would because it's in it's in that professional, real, elite environment. Uh, it's, I love football. I think and, you would shine there, bro. And working with with top kids, uh, I think I would probably have to say yeah, I'll have to jump at that kind of opportunity if it's in that environment. Would you try and do that? Oh mate, anyone out there? You know what I mean? All these big, big clubs, any, any big clubs out there? If that's what you're looking for. Someone to mentor the kids at your clubs. Uh, that could I mean look because I be think that's like. I think that's such a big missing thing. The middleman between putting other people together. I think it's mm. so underrated. You know, there's so many people like us, I would say, that maybe don't have those specific skills that require to get uh, hired for certain jobs. Mm. And then on that end, and then you have another end of specific skills. But these fuckers, their brains don't click together. When then you have guys like us that go, come here. Mm. I know a way to... to, to to get that synergy together. Together mm. to maximise all this potential, you know? Mm. And I feel like there should be more jobs like that. And I don't even know what you'd call it. <laughs> I don't even know what you'd call it. But I think clubs need that because so many kids are lost. Like, you, I know you would pick up, you go to the gaffer and probably go, he's having trouble at home. That's why he's not playing well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You can see it, you can sense you it. Can see, you can sense it by things that they say. And I think mm. that's so important for athletes because... So much of it is up here. For sure. Right? And I guess that's why it's so important to have people like you around. Mm. But, um, yeah. Yeah, man. Never know. If anyone's out there, like we said, come knocking. Uh, yeah. United, <laughs> City, you listening? <laughs> All the Arab clubs. <laughs> All the Arab clubs. Big man, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Beautiful. Can you tell people where they can find you? Guys, you can find me at Lloyd Awusu Official on Instagram. Uh, Lloyd Awusu. What's my football one? Yeah, Lloyd Awusu Football. Uh, Lord of Wusu Facebook and uh, Lord of Wusu on Twitter so yes. get following peeps and um, if you do see a big black guy in Bondi <laughs> or in Sydney it's most likely him yeah, definitely me definitely me <laughs> uh, peace and love everyone make sure you subscribe share especially with all your football fans 
Peace and love. Take it easy. Peace. Boom.